I'm going to share something I never shared. It's a little embarrassing, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Hard Train. Your co-hosts are here for you. I'm Ev. This is Serm. Welcome aboard the train, okay. guys. In case you're new We're back. Um, and your golf game's off the rails, you're sick around the struggle bus, you come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a former Tour pro like today with Jared Steger or a current coach like today with Jared, best-selling author, CEO, sports psychologist. We talk to them all and golfers like you and me to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. Guys, you are in for a real treat. Before wow. we talk to you about this interview that we just had, which was one of my was- honestly buzzing guys just so i'm you know. buzzing i think this is one of the coolest conversations we've had in seven years that was great almost seven years so we're going to get to that in a second but first we want to say thank you to our friends at roback activewear i've been wearing all roback like every day lately i i usually wear it but lately i've been doing head to toe all roback performance tees polos and their shorts go to roback.com enter the code train you'll get 15 percent off the line, I got the gym shorts with the liner. Unbelievable. I mean, it's yeah. 85 here in Chicago, Ev. It's LA weather. It's perfect. also their everyday short. The khaki is a game changer because that is the ultimate versatile short because you can wear it to anything nice and you can also wear it working out if you want. So, so roback.com, enter the code train, get the best active wear in the game. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for supporting the show and thanks for all your messages and, and screenshots of all the rowback you're buying. We love them over there. They're an awesome team. Awesome people. Thanks, guys. All right. Give people a little context on Jared. Okay. Sure. People might not know who he is. And that's yeah. what makes this show so great. Yeah. Jared Steger, a good friend of mine and my brothers from Chicago, Illinois. We grew up playing together. Jared was a one of the best high school players in the state. Played at Western Illinois University. He was a really good college player. I thought it was Chased Northern Illinois. He started at Northern and he graduated at Western. Oh, so. interesting. Okay. And we played a little bit in college together. And then Jared, you know, chased the dream and went pro for about four or five years. Playing the Canadian tour, a little Latin America, Hooters, Gateway, all around. Nowadays, you know, he's got a day job, but he plays really like high level amateur golf. Kind of like my brother, Joe. Means like, so we talk, you know, we hang out, we play. Yeah. And what's cool about Jared now is he's coaching too. So he was, a, you know, he was a college coach at one point for DePaul. And now he's kind of building a coaching program. And Ev, I think you really enjoyed this conversation. You know, it's not really, he's not necessarily a swing coach. He's really like, he considers himself a performance coach and and really has a specialty with junior players, really taking, you know, good junior players to get them to that next level, whether that's division one college or out on the mini tours or the corn ferry. And I just thought it'd be really cool to have him on just because of his array of experiences around the game, you know, and we get into it all. Ev, you know, we talked a lot about, your game and some things to think about. We talked about his game, you know, his ups and his downs. And isn't it always, I think it's always good for the listeners to hear, like, you know, I think you say, well, what can you relate to with a division one player, a guy up on the mini tours? Well, they've got their ups and their downs too. And making divots he, with a driver. Well, yeah. He talked about his struggles with the driver and we talked about your struggles with the driver, but Jared's big into data, just always looking to find the answers. Um, not only is he a great player, but you see why he's a good coach. He builds out programs for the individual. And yeah, I like uh, how he I, said, find your success strategy, right? Your unique yeah. success strategy and learning from what you do well equally from your successes. 
reflect yeah. on your successes as much as you do your failures. Yeah. So I just thought it'd be great to have on Evan. You know, we, we got, we, we dig deep in this one guys, you know, Evan yeah, really says a couple of things he's never said. <laughs> I shared some things that I never thought I would say on this program, take it for what it is, but I was being honest and it's what we want. And I thought it was like from the very start, we even talked before we got on with Jared, how sometimes it takes a little bit for these interviews to flow. And Jared flowed immediately. We got deep immediately. It never stopped flowing. So we're definitely going to bring Jared back and we're probably going to dive deep on a very specific topic with him. So stay tuned on that. And if you like what he talked about, you can DM us at the part train. We're back on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, which is great. Great to be back. Great to be back. Love getting your messages again, but DM us. If there's something you want Jared to dig in on, let us know and we'll listen. So this is an interview. If you don't stay to the end, that's a huge mistake. It is 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10, really, from start to finish. So listen to the end. I guarantee you, you will get something to improve your game. And when you do, do us a solid. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're Love doing that. more videos now. Check us out there and obviously on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok if you don't already so you can keep your game on track throughout the week in between podcasts. So no matter if you top it off the tee like I have, no matter if you if you hit it sky high after hitting a divot off the tee, or if you hit it low left or high rights, or you chunk chips, you skull them, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. Jared Steger, welcome aboard the part train. We're excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. There he is. You've been a friend of the program, grew up with Cermak for a while. How's it feel to actually be on board? It's just a real treat. It's been a huge fan uh, of the part train. Obviously, known Matt for a long time. It's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Now, like I said, you grew up playing with Cerm. We're going to get into your game. You've played pro. Now you coach and, and do other things. You play in high-level amateur tournaments still. Now, before we get into your game, from everything you know about Cermak's game, <laughs> what is the one area, if you Ooh. were his coach, he's he's right now, just for context, for you and the listeners, he's a plus yeah. 0.1. Okay. He just crossed over the plus versus scratch line. What yeah. would you do, what area would you double down on to get Cermak to a plus three? Coach Steve's uh, on the spot right here. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is understanding his scoring clubs and the decision-making process and how to capitalize when you're putting yourself in that position. Hmm. Wow. So tell me more. Yeah. So for example, a lot of players when I'm at, at all levels, right. Whether they're in their scoring position, they just grab their range, range finder, they shoot a number and they go, it's a hundred yards and they go, Oh, it's a, you know, my sandwich goes a hundred yards. So I'm going to hit a hundred yard shot. When in reality, you don't know, well, you you may or may not know the firmness of the greens, the wind conditions, flighting it, spin rate, things like that, as you get higher up as a skill set as a golfer, but for Cermak, right? So for example, you know, if it's a hundred yards to the pin, I might say to myself, the greens are really firm and fast. I really want to knock off maybe three to five yards because landing the ball short, because I know once it hits, it's going to bounce three to five yards before it checks. So instead of flying it, at the pin, or maybe you hit it too hard and or a gust of wind comes up and you fly it past the pin, 
And now you one hop it over the green and you're like, what the heck just happened? And then you short side yourself and you make bogey and you're pissed off because you just made bogey with the wedge when you're thinking birdie. And when the reality is, is, you know, just going through the process and understanding how far you hit the club and the shot might actually be a, a different yardage is huge as you get higher up uh, with your we, skill set. We should actually talk wedge combinations off air. Gaps. Yeah, we, I was having that conversation with somebody the other day. Yeah. Well, real quick, I want to, I tend to dig in on things. It's kind of my thing. I yeah. can't help myself in this. I know Serm's itching to ask a question, but I'm going to dig in for a second because when Cermak and I played together in Arizona as a two-man team, that was actually one of the biggest takeaways I got from playing with him. I'm an eight. You yeah. know, obviously he's a now a plus 0.1. I can't say scratch. I would shoot the pin. Yeah. And I would think this is a 113-yard shot. So yep. I'm going to take my gap wedge out, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, and by the way, this green even looked a little elevated to me. Yeah. So to me, 113 was the minimum. And he goes, well, with your flight playing a, a little draw with your wedge and wind coming from the right, yep. this is probably a 103 shot. And again, I was like, what? 103? Right. When wind's not that strong. Right. Right. I think what's interesting here, and maybe we'll get into it a lot today, is there's a level of attention to detail that players like you have that I don't see. And I have all the access, right? We interview some of the best players and coaches in the world every week. And it still feels very foreign to me as an eight that the direction of the wind and the flight that I have combined can make a huge impact on how far my ball flies, not to mention the spin of it with draw spin. So maybe dig in on this a little bit more because I think this is an area I'm always fascinated by the things that you guys do naturally that we don't. Yeah, no. And that's exactly what we talked about. Sorry. I was going through my phone to kind of show you at, in depth of what I work with some of my players about, but you know, that's a perfect example. Right. And for you, you're sitting there thinking, Oh man, this is a perfect gap wedge. So I'm just going to hit it. And it's maybe 110 or 112, or it might be 113, but you know, again, the gusts from the wind, or if you hit it too hard or the greens are really firm, that 113 is, is not even close to the actual number. So, you know, Matt, that's where Matt as a higher skill set player is taking in other variables, which is, changing the shot or even the club for you. And then, so I'd be more curious and say, okay, so what happened? Did you end up hitting the gap wedge or did you end up hitting a different club? I think I might've hit the gap, but I think I took more of a three quarter okay. gap than Supposed trying to, to muscle one. Or just, yeah. and then riding the wind kind of more flighted. Yeah. More of a flighted fight straight shot. shot that and I think it ended up, I didn't even get it great. It still was pin high. So there, there you go. Yeah. So that's exactly kind of what I talked about. And that's one big thing that I work with my players on is like, again, I call myself a performance coach to where right there is a perfect example where you technically didn't do anything wrong. And we didn't talk about golf swing. We didn't talk about pattern. We didn't talk about rotation. That was just simply working through the process or understanding the variables around in order for you to one, probably free you up mentally or to kind of give you a better chance of actually hitting the ball closer. You know, what's funny about this term. I bet you, because we just polled our Twitter audience. Let me pull this up and I'll, I'll share the results live as they're coming in. 
So as of right now, because we were curious before this conversation, like just as a quick sample set, what is the audience, right? In terms of handicap. In terms of handicap. And 183 people have voted. We just posted this like 10 minutes ago. So, so far, 10 plus 47%, 32% are either a five through a nine. One through four is 14%. Zero or better is 7%. I'm actually pretty surprised. 7% is pretty high for zero or better. And I would bet you, so the majority of our audience, which we probably would have guessed is a five or above, right? Yep. I would guess that when you guys talk, Jared, you said a better player, someone with a better skill set, as you raise your level, you think about other things. Yep. And so when I hear that, I want to make sure this listener doesn't misconstrue this. You might hear that and say, oh, okay, so then I can only think those things when I raise my skill set or once I get to this. Right. But I think the difference is, is that that's not necessarily the case. True. You naturally evolved there because your game is better. But I think these are the areas that the biggest gains probably are going to come from versus what someone like me has done for years, which is I go to the range. I have a different takeaway feel every day. And right. I'm trying to get it less inside, less open. Sure. And then I'm just playing golf swing all day, which we've talked about so much on this show. But I think the details part is interesting because we probably think we're not good enough for that. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a valid point. And again, like where I would come in with that conversation is I would start to ask some like questions, right? What are you thinking over the shot? Walk me through this. What are you trying to accomplish here? And again, 90 percent of the players are like, oh, I'm just trying to work on, you know, rotation or trying to club for bring the club in from the inside. Okay. That's great. But there's other factors that play, play into the actual performance. You know, I'm a big proponent about the mental controls, the physical, you know, again, for example, you have that 113 shot that you were playing and Matt's going, it's a 103 shot, which may mentally subconsciously even freeze you up because you're either going to go down in a club which then gives you a lot a wider landing spot, which then your your percentage of hitting a bad shot goes way down. So again, just from a course management uh, standpoint, that's a that's I mean you could probably save five shots to ten shots around just by making better decisions. Yeah, Jared, isn't the interesting part too? And, and you work with some really good junior players, but you're trying to take those good junior players to become great, and right, and a lot of that comes with maturity. Now, big time. None of us like to think of ourselves as immature, whether you're, you know, an eight handicap, a two handicap, you're 16 years old, you're 35, or you're 70 years old, right? We're all in this crazy game together. But I think what Evan and I were working on in Arizona, what I was, we were talking about is there's a lot of information you have to assess and take in. And sometimes for players, when they hear that, they're like, what more thoughts, more things I've got to look at. But that's kind of the the leap, right? Every time you got to see, is that ball? Below your feet or above your feet? What's the wind doing right now? Here at your back, right at the shot. What's the flag doing? But the right funny up. thing about that, sir, is that that filling your head with those thoughts, there's not going to be as much room for the to other. Think about swing thoughts. Swing well, thoughts. I'll, I'll even where I'll to even avoid it. At the more research I've done on this, right, your brain can only do so many things at once, right? So if you're thinking right. positively, you can't be thinking negatively, and vice versa. If you're thinking negatively, you can't be thinking positively, right? So it's 
it's actually, it might be more information, but it's actually simplifying it to where you're allowing yourself to, to free yourself up naturally. Because I guarantee if I ask any of you right now, whenever you're playing your best round, or when you sit, stood up there and you you flagged a shot and you before you even got to the fl the flag or the green, you're like, I'm going to make this putt. And then you go ahead and bury it. You're not thinking about what's my stroke doing? How, what's my grip pressure here? Right. What what am I thinking about? What's the wind doing? Right. You're so mentally in the zone. Right. And everyone has a different success strategy. I'm just trying to find that faster so that you can kind of self-coach yourself as a, as you start to evolve and develop. So, okay, Jared, let's dig into that, right? So you got a new student. Let's say Evan's your new student. Yep. How are you going to uncover the right success strategy, right? How do yeah, you so define that? Talk, talk us through how you get going. So with, like, I would just say, okay, Evan, like what's your handicap? You're an eight right now. So mm -hmm. tell me tell me about your game a little bit. I want to learn more about your skill set, meaning like how often can you practice? How much, what knowledge of the game do you have? How much coaching do you have right and that's going to kind of give me a blueprint or an overall picture of kind of where to start right and i know that's very vague but as as we start to ask some general questions and we dive a little bit deeper i can then get to the nitty-gritty of saying okay you're an eight you want to get down to a scratch well tell me what you're doing on the golf course right so for example walk me through where are you losing the most shots is it off the tee shot is it i'm not scoring when i put myself in that opportunity or i'm I don't know how to hit a certain shot, right? So I start to ask these questions, whether it's a development phase, whether it's a performance phase or a training phase, then we can take a little bit deeper dive into what are you doing on and off the golf course? So I would say that T-ball has been my biggest issue for a very long time. I'm okay. finally starting to turn that page. You say mental drives the physical, right? Perfect yep. example of that. And this is something I still struggle with throughout my whole bag, which is I've had so much trauma with that club that yeah. Kevin Kisner, right? Interview yeah. he joked, comes off the course at some event. I forget what it was. And he jokes with the interviewer and he's like, how you doing? And he's like, not great. And he's like, why is that? He goes, because I just pounded a hundred drivers perfectly on the range. And I hit it like an idiot on the course. And everybody like, loved it because it was because so relatable. I get to the course, I go weak right, and I lose yeah, my mind. <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I see it all the time, right? Especially with junior players, they get on the chalk line or the mirror, they hit 500 three footers or four footers, and they haven't missed one. And on the first hole, they have a three footer for birdie or for par, and they miss it. And they go there, and all you see is them is they're they're looking at their stroke, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like let's let's break that down for a second. When you're on the putting green, right? Is there any real pressure if you make it or miss it? Not, not really, right? Right. Let's also let's also talk about the break. After the second or third time, you know what that putt's doing. You know how you know what it's at right edge. Is it center? Is it left center? Becomes automatic. You know, you're just your brain actually shuts off, right? Yeah. So you, it's just it's like kind running. of like drivers on the range, right? Yeah. So you're going you know, to autopilot, right? Right, and our and our brains love repetitive movements where they actually shut off. And it's like, when you talk to marathon runners and if it said, Hey, tell me about mile five versus mile 13, they're like, you know, I just got into a rhythm. I mean, they're not thinking about their stride. So what I would say to you, Evan is like, okay, the next time you go to the driving range, assuming you have a decent understanding of your swing. So like I tend to come over it a lot, or I tend to hit this big sweeping draw. I would start to break it up a little bit and add a little bit of like performance or pressure to it. So it's like, I would hit a shot 
like a seven iron or an eight iron to a different target, right? And then put the club down, pull the driver, go through your routine and like kind of coach yourself through it and actually verbalize what you're, what you're thinking so that I can actually know what's going on in your brain to see, okay, what's he actually saying to himself? Is it don't mess up? Is it don't hit it left? Is it stay in posture? Is it swing out to right field, right? Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you start to then identify what you're thinking, which then allows you to attack. Okay. I'm a big process guy. That's what I talk about. Like, what are your process goals, right? Control the things that you can control. So when you're on the driving range, when you see guys just rake a ball, peg it, rake a ball and hit it. I'm just like, what, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you're, you're not, you're just going through the motion. So like, I would try to incorporate some spacing and some variability to where, again, what the purpose of that is to create more engagement, which means the more excited you are, the more engaged you are with hitting that shot, which means the learning goes up. An example is if I gave you a six inch putt, the level of difficulty is very low. So there's not a lot of learning going on there. So if I gave you a a putt that was 50 feet with 20 feet of break, that would be a very difficult putt, right? So it's like, I try to find players that like learning sweet spot is like, okay, level of difficulty with the level of learning. When we can match those two up, that's where like your engagement and practice and performance just skyrockets. What is an example of that sweet spot for one of your players? Yeah. So again, I, I put it through, I put them through like a, a, a mini assessment that I've, I've kind of created with a lot of coaches and things that I've acquired over the years of this. And I, I kind of get a baseline of their skill set, And then I give them some tasks or drills based off of their goals and what they're telling me what they want. Cause they're telling me I need to make more birdies around. Okay. So I'll create a training program or a a task, right? Just like think of it as a video game, right? Like kids love that addiction or people, it's like, I want to get to that next level. I want to get to that next level. The engagement and that learning is like, okay, I'm going to go find a way to get that done. And it could be as simple as, okay, a player right now wants to go make more birdies. I go, go play the the up tees and try to make 10 birdies in a round, right? Like you've heard that before. It's like, look, you got to make 10 birdies from the up tee. This, this is a, a mini tour player right now. And, it, you know, we're talking from 5,200 yards. So we're talking most of the holes are drivable. So it's like you're playing aggressive. Are you making good decisions? Are you making birdies from, you know, just off the green, things like that. But then I'll add another layer of, okay, for every birdie you make, you got to play the next hole at par or better or else you, your birdies get wiped out. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a constant example or a a constant challenge as they progress. And then I just ask for feedback. How was that? Was that really mentally draining for you? Was that physically hard for you? Like you, you tell me what you learned from that. That was really easy. Okay. Let's make it harder so that every time that you don't hit the fairway, we got to add a half a shot to your score and you got to shoot five under par. Right. So there's always, there's ways to tweak it based off of what the player is giving me back. Jared, I love that example. I mean, a lot of coaches throughout the years, college coaches, swing coaches would say, especially if you're just really for that example, you're not making birdies guys. All right. You're going to go play the red tees. Yep. And everyone's got to shoot under 65. And it's amazing, you know, obviously being college players, but even for any golfer, go do it, go play your up tees, your level of expectation changes. You actually become like an animal out there because you think you should be, I'm ready to dominate. And then the tricky part is if you, you don't, you don't feel like you get a couple birdies earlier, like 
you're falling behind. It's kind of like playing on the mini tours, right? You know, Jared, like, but I think, you know, if you're an A handicap and play 6,200 yards, average golf course, go play from 57, right? Or, sure. Go play. Learn, from- learn, learn how to score. And I mean, sometimes you got to swallow your pride. And again, that's where I have a conversation with the player. And it's like, okay, does your uh, behaviors match your intentions? It's like, do you really want to go make birdies? Or is that what you're telling me? Because that's what you're, that's what you've heard for the whole, you know, your golf career. If it's not that, like, especially with the U S open, these guys are never landing it at the flag because when they land at the flag, it's bouncing, you know, they're taking 20 yards off. So again, depending on the player, I'll say, Hey, you can't have this ball end up past the flag because we got to add a half a shot to your score. Right. And it's like, that changes things. I got to go really think about, okay, what's front edge. It's one Oh five, the pins one twenty. So if I hit a one ten shot, I got X amount of yards to play with right? Mm. Some, something like that. Or with, with the driver, right? You know, Evan, do you miss it one way more often than not? Typically way right, I'd say Ev. it's more right. so right. But I think a, like a lot of eight to 10 handicaps. Yeah. I'm definitely can, it, the two way is one of the biggest issues, right? Cause it, I could have a, but right now I'm, I'm actually, my left miss is now more of a straight pull versus a low hook which sure. is a big i'm very excited about actually goes farther yeah yeah but it, it's more of a manageable miss and i know that a big miss is probably going to be more to the right because i'm trying to embrace hitting a cut which is what my coach told me my pattern is i've been trying to play draws forever yeah that's a great like so you, i would talk to the player and start to ask them okay so what are your tendencies and if they don't know it you know, then we first establish that and then we can kind right. of work through the process. Right. So as you start to understand your tendencies, then we can kind of dive a little bit deeper and let's say, okay, on the golf course, what are you thinking about this shot? Are you aiming left because you're going to play that you're anticipating the fade or am I going to trust it and hope that I hit it? Right. Like those are two different mindsets. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Is it hitting hope or is it like, I trust the process and how many times on an interview do you say, on these PGA tour guys, it's like, I just got to trust my swing here. Or the announcer's like, this is where you just got to step up and trust your training. Right. Right. And it's like, what does that have to do with golf swing? Right. That has right. to do with what mental state of my in that's allowing me. Cause I mean, with these college players all the time, it's like, man, I should have shot 65. And I'm like, well, why didn't you? Oh, I just didn't make the putts. I was like, well, did you, how close are you hitting it? Oh, I'm not really hitting. Are you putting more uphill putts, more downhill putts, more? Right. Maybe from 150 yards and in, you're really hitting it to 40 feet when you, you know, you think you're hitting it actually closer. Right. So it's like we start to just dive deeper into that. And a lot of it is just making better decisions. Like going back to I'm 113. Oh, I'm going to hit a gap wedge. And Matt's like, no, it's a 103 yard shot. And you're like, you're crazy. So I just got the awesome opportunity to play Hillcrest Country Club this past week in Los Angeles. I think Larry David, Sylvester Stallone are some of the most well-known members. A lot of comedians have been members there. And I also got back from Dallas a couple months ago from my Ryder Cup trip. Got to play the Dallas Cowboys course as well as the Texas Rangers course. All three awesome courses. The thread between all three of them was everyone was mooching off of, well, really not mooching. I provided the sunscreen for everybody. And the thing that everybody seemed to gravitate towards ironically was not a spray, but actually the ghost stick clear sunscreen ghost stick 
35 SPF. It's three inches tall, a couple inches wide, perfect for the little cell phone pocket in your golf bag. People joked actually was weighing down my golf bag with all the sunscreen I had on in there from Orzen Alps. But the ghost stick is my new favorite thing because I've realized that I've kind of had it backwards all this time. I think sunscreen covering everywhere on your body is important. But I think back in the day, I used to put sunscreen on my arms and my neck, but I didn't put sunscreen on my face. Now that I'm older, I'm starting to notice people that are in the sun a lot and their faces kind of look like old Kekker's mitts. Okay. And I don't want that to happen. So being married to a woman that is really into her skincare has rubbed off on me, I guess. So the Go Stick Clear Sunscreen Stick is my new favorite thing because it rubs on really easily. I love zinc oxide, but it gets stuck in my beard and my whole face gets white. And this is so clear and easy. It stays on super easy to reapply. So I would highly recommend that, but they also got the face mist. If you want more of a face mist that you can actually spray on your face and all the other sprays and stuff that they have top notch, no harsh chemicals. They're great people, very small company based in Chicago. And I love everyone there. So go to oarsandalps.com, enter the code SPF train for 15% off. And don't look like an old catcher's mitt out there. Don't risk skin cancer. Focus on the shot at hand and don't worry about getting a burn. Do the same thing that everybody I play with did. Grab that ghost stick, that SPF spray, mist, protect yourself out there so that you can protect your score. One thing that I'd be curious to hear your opinion on is executional keys are very important, meaning sensory, not positional swing feels or things that you can take to the course you know that it helps me play my best yeah and i can i can keep leaning into that as my process right one thing i've struggled with over the years that i've never really asked anybody is do you think that there are executional keys that are not good for pressure meaning is there something like let me give you my personal example right yeah My key forever has been if I feel like I'm letting go of the club through my transition for someone that rolls it in open Mm -hmm. face inside and has to swing really committed and aggressive to have consistent contact, which is inherently going to be a little over the top. Right. So I'm either push drawing it or I'm hitting a cut. Right. Yep. Knowing that. The only thing that allows that club to slot somewhat consistently is lightness or letting go through the transition. However, with someone that struggled with performance anxiety and feeling like I couldn't help myself, but I'm helping all these other people and really identifying with it and struggling a lot mentally with it over the last couple of years, letting go in the transition ironically has become the hardest thing to do because that old trauma. Yeah. Even though I'm committed into the going into the shot, I've done all the right stuff. Sure. But my brain and my body knows that this thing I'm about to do has created so much pain in the past. I don't want to happen again. And ironically, that's what's creating the pain. Yeah. So my question to you would be, if you were working with me or someone like me, Yep. Would lightness at the top, would you think about that differently, knowing that that's a hard thing to do under pressure? Sure. 
No, first of all, great question. And the, the, the first thing that came to mind when you brought that up is what are you afraid of? So my biggest fear over the last year and a half has been, I will show up to these incredible bucket list places yeah. and Cermak saw it firsthand. And I don't care if I hit it 290, 30 yards, right. I don't yeah. care if I hit it 270, 30 yards left. To me, those are manageable, right? It's the tops. It's the, the, I can't even make a swing at it. And it's the stuff where it's not even golf, right? Right. Like my, my body gets in the way so much. It's not even the contact is just so abysmal that when you ask me like, what's gotten, how have I gone from a five to an eight over the last couple of years yeah. with all of these resources at my fingertips, it's been contact issues. Like when yeah. I start actually hitting the ball again, you know, I might play pretty average and shoot 82. Right. Sure. And yeah. it's like, that's how it used to be for me. I used to be like shooting 81s and 80s when not playing real great. And if so, I'm actually starting to piece it together, I'd break 80. This is exactly. And I love how we're, we're digging into this. Right. So like really what that comes down to is you're standing on that tee box and you're afraid of the top, right? Because what happens if you top it? Are you not going to be able to play golf again? Like, right. are you not going to be able to go to the next hole? It's that when fear really... of embarrassment in yeah. of your surroundings, the people you're yeah. with, the tournament you're at. You're so, yeah. It's that fear and that inner judgment of like, dude, come on. You are not this bad. You're worried about what Sir Max say, is going to say to you if you top it off the tee box in front of in front of everybody. And dude, I honestly I've, think it's actually the personal judgment more than even. I mean, obviously it's embarrassing. And I've yeah. been I've flown across the world and played at Terra Edie and topped eight drives. Like yeah. I've done it, and I think the difference has become. And we're actually thinking about doing a series with Brett McCabe. We actually sit down and and work together on this yeah. on the course because it's been something I've struggled with but it's the type of thing and by the way I I coach like 10 golfers right now mentally so I think the inner judgment of like totally you're a hypocrite you can help other people you can't help yourself right I've been there and sorry to cut you off like no, when ahead. I was playing when I was playing professionally my coach said to me and this will come full circle is like how are you going to beat Rory McIlroy and I'm sitting there like you know, I'm going to outwork him. I'm going to hit more balls. I'm going to read more. I'm going to work out. He's like, no, you're not I'm like, okay, what I'm going to chip and putt better. I'm going to do he's like, he's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, where are you going with this? And he goes, you can be the best player in the world from 150 yards and in. So for like the next six months, all I did was dial in my wedges. I chipped and putt like crazy, but I had the driver yips at this point because I put so much pressure on myself. I mean, I was taking divots with a driver on the first tee at, you know, on Canadian Q school and corn Ferry Q school. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not even going to hit driver because it, if I rip it, mm. I'm hitting so far down on it. I'm hitting it 235 with the driver, but my three would go is 280. And I'm like, I'm just not going to do this because I, I put myself mentally like that trauma. So I can relate to that. Yeah. So it took me a while to, to, to work through that. And again, at certain levels, right? Is it, is it technical? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But it's like your pattern is your pattern to a degree, but I go back and say to yourself, when you were shooting 81, 82, I guarantee you, you probably didn't have the trauma with the driver as you do now. Oh, for sure. It was actually one of my best clubs. 
So I would go back to that and just start simple. Like, what were you doing? I bet you were more relaxed. I bet you were smiling on the golf course. I bet you weren't thinking about don't mess up and don't look like an idiot. Right. So that yeah. like when, when you break it down from like the mental controls, the physical, I would start to go back to those days and say like, what were you doing then? And whatever you were doing, all I would try to do from now until you, you start to get into a better groove is to incorporate whatever that was. And just let's just trial and error. Let's just start there and see if that starts to help. And for me, I mean, it got to the point where I'm like, I've talked to Bob Rotella. I've talked to a bunch of bunch of performance coaches. And I mean, I would like lay in bed with my driver and try to become like my best friend with it because it, yeah. it was that bad. You think I'm joking? I oh, no. I, would, I, I, I know you're not because I've so, that's that's all I've thought about for many, many hours. Yeah. Because you're, I can already sense like you're so traumatic. You're already thinking about it now before the next time you go play. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like one thing that's helped me is like now I'm kind of more removed from the playing side is I always go like, you know, what would Dustin Johnson hit here? Or if this was my home golf course, like I see so many players in a tournament, it's a 330 yard hole and guys are just pulling out five iron because like, that's the position player. Like, I don't want to mess up because it's the first hole. And I'm like, you think Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy would be laying up on this 330 yard par four. And it's like, so what if you hit it in the, in the, in the water or in the bunker, like you're either good enough to get it up and down, or, you know, your skill set's high enough. You got right. 36 more holes, 54 more holes to make it up. Well, that's it, Jerry, like, right? So what? It's right. like, well, why don't you drive here? Well, you know, I just don't like what I see here. Like I just first hole, I just want to ease into it. And you know, it's, it's funny. Good to, it's good to acknowledge those thoughts. Right. But that's something I had to get over for a little while too, with the driver. Yeah. I'm like, I know I can hit hybrid here and maybe make a birdie, but the rest of the field is hitting driver. Right. And, <laughs> so right. It's, and again, like there's a level I, of confidence. I would literally be having conversations with myself at, at, at tournaments. It's like, okay, if I hit driver, there's a, there's a high chance. I'm probably going to hit down on this thing, pop it up and hit it out of bounds. And I'm going to miss the cut or I can hit a four iron and hit a, a, you know, a perfect eight iron when everyone else is hitting driver flip wedge. And I was like, okay, I got to make a decision here, which then just added pressure and internal pressure where I'm like, I have to play perfect golf in order for me to compete against these guys, which then just made golf no fun, made yep. it miserable. And it's like, okay, I've kind of cracked the code for myself to where I'm like, you know what, I can get up and just smash it. I mean, it's not all the time, but I'm just like, you know, you hear these guys say you got to have a short term memory. It's like, so what if you make a double bogey? I'm like, I tell my players, you're going to shoot 78 again. Like, it's not like you're trying to shoot 78 or want to shoot 78. It's golf. I mean, look at Justin Thomas. He shot what 11 over at the U S open the second day. Right. You think he was, you think he was trying to shoot 11 over? Like right. he's one of the best players in the world. I mean, it, it just, I mean, Dustin Johnson made a quadruple bogey on his, second or third hole after shooting Maybe. almost a course record, like, right. Let it go. I mean, well, we talk about a lot, Jared, yeah. I, like, and it's what John Reese used to tell us. Our coach, Jared knows was like, you know, God, you just can't let these shots define you. And we do that. Right. One, one swing out of bounds means you can't hit a driver today. Right. And that means it has to go out of the bag. And that's, that's really challenging. And yeah. Evan, I've been talking a lot about that. We talked about that last but, night with our Wyndham Clark episode of just that is the difference. I think is you, you think Wyndham Clark wasn't feeling it. 
You think he wasn't pissed that he made two bogeys coming in and for the first time all week did not hit three greens in a row? Yeah. Like he was coming down the stretch. He could have easily said, oh, you're blowing it. You're going to blow it. He might have had those thoughts, but he got back to what he did. But really quick, Jared, what you just said about personal pressure. Yeah. Sermon, I, I think it maybe was with Lynn and Pia from Vision 54. Yeah. But they asked, they asked all of their students and, you know, they're the coaches for Annika Sorenstam for years. Yep. And they have an amazing school in Arizona and great books. They ask, why do you play? And I realized my why might've been adding personal pressure because guess what? My why has been forever. It's the mental challenge and the personal challenge of making mistakes and thinking my way out of it and being proud that I finished, that I made an okay score after a poor one, or yeah. I had a great back nine after a front one, or I was yeah. really nervous and I refocused on the things that are more productive, the mental challenge of it, right? That is why I played. I got real, just, it just felt so good finishing a round of golf and knowing that it was like a meditation for me. Like sure. I stuck to it. And I really accomplished something. So then you look at the last year and a half of when I feel like I, I couldn't get out of it. And now you're judging yourself because you're in it. And now you're judging yourself because you can't get out of it. And now that's a spiral that makes you feel the, the opposite emotion that I just described, shame, embarrassment, frustration. Why do I spend so much time on this? This is what I do for a living. I can't even do it. That is all judgment, right? So I think as we're having this conversation, I can still love the mental challenge of it because that's wired into who I am, but maybe there's some other things I can enjoy and use as my reason as to why I play, you know, go back, go back to when you were shooting 81, 82, right? Like you, you were probably enjoying it better and you really don't know why, like you probably if you were to take a step back, you probably weren't shooting 82 when you first started. You were probably shooting higher, you know, probably closer to 100. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, you're enjoying the game, which then allowed you to go practice more just because you enjoyed the chase or the journey, right? Yeah. And then then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm pretty good at this game. And then the judgment starts to kick in. And then other people start telling you, oh, you're you're pretty good at this game. So if you were to take that, and I see this all the time with like high school players, right? And then college and then mini tour players. And then you see it at the highest level too, is that internal pressure um, gets the best of you. And I mean, I'll be the first one to admit it as much as I don't want it to. Like it, I, I beat myself up and it took me 10 years post playing to learn like, it's just golf and it's just a game. Like as cliches, you hear that with Rory, right? Everyone's like, when's Rory going to win the, your next major? And he's at the point where he's like, you know, he switched caddies, right? It's his best friend, which relaxes him on the golf course. He's trying to be more athletic and be more reactive to just like, I'm just going to go play golf. I mean, you're telling me Rory doesn't know how to pl- hit a, a six iron. Right. Right. He, he, he doesn't know how to hit a five foot putt. I mean, look at, Look at Tommy Fleetwood on the, on the 18th hole. He's having a, he's nine under par or he's eight under par and he, you know, 510 yard par four rips a drive, rips an iron inside five feet, has a chance to shoot 62. He's been making bombs all day and he doesn't even sniff the hole. And it's like, I, you don't think he was feeling it. You don't think he knew that 
I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't know, but I guarantee you, he probably was like, okay, I could do something special versus like, what's the objective here? I, I want to hit it here. And I, all I can do is hit the best putt possible. So, you know, what freaks me out? I used to be uh, pretty lax on this. My mom used to tell me this all the time as a kid. I didn't listen. And now that I'm 35, I've realized, holy shit, we need to get serious about this stuff. So I did some research guys and I pulled up guys in the PJ tour that have had scary surgeries with melanoma or other forms of skin cancer from all the sun exposure we get from playing golf, right? So here's the list. Charlie Hoffman got a huge chunk removed out of his arm. Looks like he got mauled by a bear. Brad Faxon, Roy Sabatini, Stuart Sink, Justin Thomas, Andy North, Adam Scott when he was 31. How crazy is that? Jimmy Walker, the list goes on and on. Okay, I also did some more research. According to a March 2020 study released by the Skin Cancer Foundation, recreational golfers are at a high risk of developing skin cancer every hour while on the course. It's likely they receive 3.5 to 5.4 times the amount of UV radiation exposure needed to cause a sunburn. More than that, water and sand traps are hazards in more ways than one. Water and sand can reflect UV radiation so that the skin absorbs it twice, okay? And the more that someone burns says the foundation, the greater the risk of skin cancer. So if you've ever had a sunburn, that means you have greater risk to have skin cancer. And this message is even more important for you. So our friends at Oars and Alps have made protection from the sun as easy and pleasurable as it can get. Okay. It's not a fun thing. We just have to do it. We're out there for four or five hours. We are at more at risk than maybe any group out there. Okay. So go to oarsandalps.com. Enter the code SPF train. You're going to get 15% off. I love the ghost stick, which is a clear thing you can put on your face. The new SPF spray is amazing. You don't even have to rub it in. It's great for reapplying. You can keep it in your bag. It's super small, great for carry-ons. And also their SPF spray, they have zinc oxide spray as well as regular spray up to SPF 70 with antioxidants and other things. No harsh chemicals like your Copatron Sports or your banana boats that you guys have probably used for years. So Let's protect ourselves. Let's go out and enjoy the ride and not have to worry about the damage we're doing to our skin. And I know nobody thinks they're going to get skin cancer, but I've started to notice even sunspots, like my skin starting to look older. And it's like, okay, if you don't care about sun, sun damage for cancer, at least I'm sure you care about your appearance. Do it so that you're protected from the sun and you don't look like a, an old mitt baseball glove from high school. Okay, let's at least preserve what we have left of our appearance while we're playing this great game. Okay. So go to oarsandalps.com, enter the code SPF train, get 15% off and let's protect ourselves out there. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Definitely want to talk a little bit about your playing career because I, you know, you've become a really good coach and I always think good coaches, you know, have experience, good, yeah. bad, and different seen a totally. lot. And you yeah. have, and you maybe shared a little bit with us about some of your struggles, but you know, I was telling Evan, like, you're one of the best iron players I know. You're just really steady. You can, you can go low. And you've told me over the years, like, man, I feel like I'm swinging it better than I've ever swinging. I feel like I get this game. Yeah. I struggled to get it back then. Just a lot of light bulbs have come on for you. And that's not to say you weren't great then, but talk right. about that. Like how you, th how you think as a player nowadays, what you work on, even though you still have a day job, but all yeah. these things our listeners can take away. Um, yeah, honestly, every time I go to the golf, fun to watch you, you know, these last several years. 
No, I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, like every time I go hit balls, I throw an alignment stick down. I'm always checking grip, alignment, posture, right? Gap. Fundamentals. I know that sounds hear bad, this every like, time from great you know, players. It's, it's, it's so it's crazy. Just, it's, Can it's we so get into crazy. this? Because I don't understand yeah. even how to do it. Like, <laughs> I, I hear this all the time. And it's like, I don't even know how to check my alignment. Well, like, so I put a stick down, but like, how much more left should my feet be than, than where I'm trying to hit it? Like, and my grip, my coach who coaches PJ tour pros was like, dude, if you've, if you've gotten to a single digit handicap with your grip to this point, I, I think you know how to hold the club. Doesn't even talk about the grip with yeah. me. And then posture is another thing. I'm like, well, what should I be looking for? These are like things that all the good players do that the eights to the twelves don't. Correct. Right. And it's like, what separates good players from great players and great players from, you know, hit the hall of famers. And it's like, every time I go to the range, right? Like my body, I'm always filming one or two shots because feel and real are totally two different things. Right. And yeah. that's something that I was very fortunate to learn at a young level, which then always got me back to the fundamentals. So like I have a baseline, so like there's times where I'm like, man, I feel good. And then I go look at it on video and I'm like, I don't even, I don't even recognize that guy because I'm, I'm so rounded with my posture. I feel open, but my feet are actually closed. And it's just, we all develop bad habits. But if I have a baseline that I go off of, which again, I just, I throw an alignment stick down, I throw it on my hand line. So what that means is that there's a ball, you know, your hand as you grip it and then your feet. So I make sure that, that alignment sticks right on my hand. And I'm just saying to myself, if there was a train track there, are my feet parallel to my my target line? Are my hips parallel to that train track? And then are my shoulders? And if I have to check it, I'll put a I'll take a golf club and I'll throw it down. And it's like, oh man, I'm aimed. My feet are not parallel because if I just drew a line, these would intersect at some point. And I put a, a club on my hip line, and I go, okay, my hips are really open to that line. So then it's just mm. I go back to the basics, and I always check. You know my posture, my hips under my heels, and my and my hip hinging from. Um, it, it's just little things, Jared. Right? Because I could almost feel it. When I was playing the other day, like like I'm getting a little a little open here, like, and you have to constantly. That's constant right. maintenance. But you're you talking about you're talking about alignment in a way that I haven't really heard it. I like this idea of parallel tracks, and you know it's yeah. nice that we're the park train. Sure. So think of that train track. <laughs> Um, actually we're, I've just talked to this company. We're going to do custom ball markers and they're going to be actual train tracks uh, made nice. out of metal for the ball markers. We'll we'll say, yeah, we'll have to send you one. But anyways, that actually makes more sense to me because now I can just check to see if I'm parallel Yeah. versus am I closed or am I open in a certain way? And yep. that, I think what you're saying is just make sure the engine that is your body is move is not moving against each other. It's moving Correct. all in the right direction. Whereas historically, when I think of putting down an alignment stick, it's like, it's just where your feet are. But I think a lot of people don't understand, but where should my feet be? I just well, point the stick at my target and then I put my feet right. at my target. But then Cermax tell me, well, no, your, your feet should actually be left just, of your target. Just a little. A little bit, <laughs> but I'm like, well, how yeah. much? Right. <laughs> like I don't know right. how to do it. I you're know looking, everybody... so, and you're looking at the there's the club face component too. Go ahead, Jared. No, I was just gonna say, like the easiest way to do this, right, is your club face, you want to be pointed at the target, right? So what once you get that kind of 
set up, which I think majority of the players can do that pretty easily. But then as they, you know, as, as players step into the shot, right, they, they step in close or they step in open and that's where they start to get off kiltered. And then you start to see like their spine angle doesn't match up with the shot shape. I can't tell you how many players I see or like, I'm trying to hit a draw and I'm like, dude, this is screaming a fade because your hit and your shoulders are so far open. The, the, the path in the club naturally is going to swing down into the left. And I'm like, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, this master, but I have a pretty good idea of what the ball, or I can tell you what the numbers are relatively going to be because of just how you set up to it. And I mean, mm. you look at these players, you always see Jordan Spieth throwing an alignment stick down, right? You always see guys on the putting green. There's a reason why they're doing that. You know, you hear routine, you hear routine, you hear full process, or you hear um, um, just mechanics, right? That's what their golf is so hard, right? They're, we're just trying to simplify it. But if you can have that baseline is every time I go hit balls, you know, every time I, even when I set up in tournaments or when I'm hitting a shot with Cermak, I go, okay, are my feet, how's my feet? Okay. Are my feet good? And then I kind of go feet, hip, shoulders. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm pretty good here. And then I can just pull the trigger. And I've accepted that I'm either going to hit it good or I'm not. Like, it's so tough because we've all gotten these traps. I mean, I got, I struggled with the driver big, my junior year of college, in high school. It, dis it destroys obs you. Obsessed with wanting to be over my right shoulder, right? But, you know, the other day I, I, I played with my buddy and he's like, after the round, he's like, take a look at it. He's like, I got a tournament coming up. Take a look at me. He's a three handicap. He's a really good player. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's take a look at your lineman. And he was aimed, he's a lefty, he's aimed 15 That's yards to the left. Yeah. And I said, it's a windy day today. Can you show me a knockdown? He goes, well, what about, you know, what? And I've said this too to teachers. Well, what about this? What about here? I'm coming. Yeah. No, like, you know, it's no, so worked on alignment and hitting a knockdown. Bob Rotella said this really well. And like Patrick Cantley talks about this too, is like golf's such a weird game, right? Like when you play, when you're actually playing 18 holes, right? You, you rarely ever hit the same shot twice in a row. Like rarely, but it's the one sport we just rake a ball. We hit it. We rake a ball. We hit it. And he's like, how many times Bob Rotella said, you know, how many times you see a tour player like hit a shot and it just fades and it goes underneath a tree. And then afterwards they sit there and they're working on their motor pattern. They're swinging. And he's like, that could be the worst thing because the next shot you have to hit is a rope draw. Right. Totally different like motor pattern. Either. Right. Mm. Totally. And he's like, you're ingraining something that is completely no relevance to the next shot, which is the most important shot. And it's like, man, that was a light switch for me. <laughs> like, so I don't give a it's good. I don't care what, what this looks like. Right. I mean, do to, I do a degree? Obviously you're always degree, working on right? something, but right. But it's like, okay, my grip's good. My posture's good. I'm, I'm relatively have pretty good face control. Like now I just got to learn how to manipulate the ball flight. So it's like, if I set up this way, if I set up good, my path is going to be reg, you know, this motion, which should produce this shot. And I've gotten pretty good at it uh, to where, you know, I don't need to go hit balls and spend hours, but I will back up and say like in my junior career, I, I ingrained in myself. If I hit the ball better, I can score better. Like if I hit the ball better, if I hit it closer, I can shoot lower scores. And I had that ingrained and that was a bad, that was a bad message as a kid. But that's also one reason why I, you know, Cermax 
says I can hit the ball pretty good is because I mean, I would hit balls to my hands bled because I was just like, if I can hit it two feet, then I don't have to putt like, cause I don't have to think, right. Go back that, to that learning, that level of difficulty, right. That's an eye opening line right there. It, you just kind of right. summed it up. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, say that one more time, subject? Jared. <laughs> so what did I say? Um, if I can hit the ball to two feet. Oh, then I don't have to think about it. So I'm going to be on the range for 10 hours today to just. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So again, like it's taken, you'd go back to maturity, right? Like it's taken me 10 years to learn all that. Cause like I've, I had great technical coaching, but I didn't have great mental or like process until later in my career, which I'm like, man, it's always how many times it's like knowing what I know now, if I can go back in time, I would do it totally different. Right. That's the wisdom. That's knowledge. That's just part of life and it's like if i can teach this junior kid who i'm working with who literally i started working with him not even a month ago um i was like hey it's okay to make bogeys i'm like how many times you're gonna have in a round inside 130 yards he's like eight i go how many rounds is it two i'm like you're gonna have 16 chances at birdie i go how many hard holes out there he's like two i go play for bogey those days just don't make worse than a bogey And he's like, it freed me up so much. And he went out and he won his state championship by seven shots because on his game plan that we talk about, he's like, you can make three bogeys around and still play good golf. And that was like, I'm like, I've never even seen you swing a golf club. As opposed to, I can't make bogey. I don't, you know, he gets on that second hole, you know, he's got the shot he doesn't like, and he's just consumed by it. Make double or triple. As opposed to like, look, there's tough holes out there. Best players in the world make bogeys. Do you ever find that any of your players or you and your playing days and you still play today, obviously um, would feel restricted from saying, I just can't make doubles because nobody's trying to make doubles. Yeah. Um, And again, I I would just go back to, as I talked to the player, right. I talked about personality and characteristics, right. Everyone's different. So I'm, I'm really trying to find what makes you successful. Right. So I keep going back to you about that 81, 82, what were you thinking about? I guarantee you were more relaxed. So it's like, what makes you more relaxed when you play golf? I like to listen to music. All right. The next time you go play, just try to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings and listen to music and just try to be more relaxed as you play and just see if that helps. Right. Like it's not rocket science here. We're just trying to establish some patterns and some trends. And then as you get to a higher level, it's just more fine tuning that um, as you get, to a higher skill set, more train I mean, tracks. Can I share kind of a kind of a meta ridiculous thing for a second? I've never said this on the show, but I actually think look at it. We're getting deep. I love this. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to share something I never shared. It's a little embarrassing, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I go to my own coach just for life, but we end up talking about golf naturally. She once said to me, she was kind of talking about how as men we can lose some of our, our masculinity and our assertiveness. And in life, sometimes you might feel that tentative that I want to go sit in a corner. I don't really want to talk to anybody. I'm feeling quiet. And as an extrovert, that tells me I'm moving into stress. Right. And she said, you know, not to get too like inner childy here, but she said, that is let's name him. So like my middle name's Gregory, right? So let's name him Gregory. So when Gregory comes in, which by the way, is every time I experience this on the golf course, Gregory is there. 
and Gregory is feeling like he's in sixth grade yep. and maybe the girls didn't talk to him or he's a little bit shorter than other people and he's mm -hmm. feeling a little insecure, right? Yeah. And it's that feeling everybody's had at a party where you don't have like a good friend there or people aren't talking to you or something. She said, that is the moment to say, hey, Gregory, I feel you, but Evan is here and I got this. I got this. So yep. don't worry. I've got it from here. And that was a thing that I've been working on with her of like, there is a level of masculinity and ownership that you have as a man that is now 35 years old for as me. That is like, it actually is very powerful because to go back to make this full circle that go to your question, Jared, of what were you doing when you were playing well? I was always a really good athlete. And when I play my best, we said this on our video in Arizona, sir, when I start to compete, I actually start to get very confident and I have, and that's not even necessarily that I'm hitting it well. It's just more of a, an offensive, aggressive state of watch me hit this ball here, right? And it is the opposite state of Gregory being there and being really scared shitless and really yeah. pissed off and frustrated that he just topped three, three shots in a row again. Like how many balls have you hit, right? And it is a totally opposite thing. And we've talked to a lot of tour pros and Maria Fossi said this, you just have to find a way to be confident, whether it's you're yelling at yourself that you can do this. You've done it a million times. Self-talk's really big, but you have to almost act as if you can, even when you feel really shitty and totally. find some way to get back to confidence and aggressive at something. Right. You know? And so yeah. that's, just wanted to share that because I think no, that's I mean, something that's I, first of all I for me. I appreciate you sharing that. I know that wasn't easy. Um, you know, you you look at Tiger Woods in the Masters when he putted it on what was it the fifteenth hole and he putted it into the pond or something 13. like that. Thirteen, right? He putted yeah. it into the water. It's like here's the best putter of all time, and he still putted it in the water. Right. right. But like, Evan, what you talked about with Gregory was like, first of all, what I talk about with my players is like, when you start to get those feelings of insecurity or nervousness, or whatever you want to call it, right. There, there's a sense of awareness that you have. Right. So then like, I talk to players about like, okay, once you have that awareness, then we can start to tackle, how do you get out of that? Right. And it goes back to like, what's the objective with this shot? Oh, I just got to hit a fade. Well, what do you, how do you hit a fade? Well, I aim left. I open my stance and I swing left. Okay, cool. Let's just make sure you pick a good target and show me that. Right. And that's, it's obviously easier said than done, but like when you start to break it down to the task, and I said this earlier, is like when you're thinking negatively, you can't be thinking positively. When you're thinking positively, you can't be thinking negatively. It's like, I'm just switching your brain to think of something differently. That's allowing yourself to let your training come out. So that it's like, okay, I can aim left, you know, you kind of not trick your brain, but you're teasing your brain for sure. You're like, okay, I'm on the driving range and I can't tell you how many times I do that in tournaments and I get up there and I smash one, but you also have to be okay with if I did it and I didn't hit it how I wanted to, it's like, all right, 
I just didn't hit it right versus because so many times players I talk to like, well, I did everything right. And I still didn't do it. I'm like, well, what did you do? And they go, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, you didn't, let's go through your checklist, right? What did you do? I aim left. So after I hit a shot, you're either going to hit it how you want or you're not. I almost know immediately what I did wrong. And it could be, I just didn't commit to the swing or I hit it right, but I misjudged the wind. So I'm not sitting there second guessing my swing or my mm. pattern, or did I pull the right club? I'm it's, just saying, okay, what did I, what did I miss here? Yeah. My, my plan was either really good. It was just okay. Or it was not good. Right. right. And, and right, something right. got in the way. Why do right. you think Jared, so many players like yourself find their best golf years after playing in college and professional? Is this the perfect example of getting in our own way? It defines us. It's our livelihood, the pressure. Obviously, there's maturity, but is there something you can pick out that you do differently now that you didn't when you were a pro and played D1 college? It'd be interesting to ask Joe that too, because I think you yeah. guys had some similar experiences. Yeah. Great. Your brother. Great question. Yeah. And, and for me personally, it was it, as much as I didn't want to admit it, it was internal pressure because if you looked at my scoring average from round one to round two, it was like three shots different because it was like, okay, first hole or first round of the tournament. I don't want to shoot myself out of it. I really want to play Like I'm putting all this shit on top of it where I'm like, just go play golf and whatever happens, you happens. And then you hear these stories all the time, especially on social media. It's like, I played with the, plus two handicap who, you know, hasn't played in two years and he shot 68. Well, I get like expectations were probably low. They were just out having fun and they just hit golf shots. But for me personally, it was like internal pressure. I had to do this now. I, I forced the issue. Um, I didn't believe in myself back then. And it's like, okay, once I've worked through all that, I'm just like, okay, I, I'm a pretty good athlete and I, I, I know my tendencies. I know what I do well and what I don't. And if I can just manage that, I'm probably going to shoot pretty well. I don't know what well is. Cause I ask this players all the time. My, like, I want to, I want to play on tour or, or I want to get uh, PGA tour Canada status. I go, what does that mean? Well, I want to get, I want to get my card. Well, does that mean finish the last place on conditional status? Does that mean finish top 10 at Q school? Does that mean win Q school? Because those are three different categories. And it's like, oh, I never thought of it like that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Or like, why? Right. Why do you want your card? What do you think? How will your opinion change of you? Because so many of us think, all I got to do is get my card. And then I've made it. I think so many of us think of everything in this game and in life as like this destination. Yeah, and they don't realize that. No, actually, that just means that. Well, you're gonna your your target's gonna move once you get there. I mean, did Tommy Fleetwood not sum this up perfectly? Guys set two records for sixty threes in the final day of U.S. Opens, and he felt disappointed both times. Well, it's a lot about how we define our goals, right? Ev? I mean, I think maybe you go into some rounds recently, like as long as they don't top one, right? It's an accomplishment, right? Or right. for a little bit for me, it was like as long as I'm not missing anything left off the tee, you're really making progress. Right. It's like the pros miss it left all the time. Right. And it's like, yeah, we want a predictable miss. Right. <laughs> you know, right. But that's, 
so it's it's how we define those goals. And I think sometimes we get we think we're we think we're on to something with mini progress, but it's not realistic. It's it's like false, uh, you know, players all the time is like, I'm hitting it so good on the range, or it's like I just shot 68 in a practice round. I was like, that's false confidence. Like that's not reality in that situation. And I can give you a more deeper dive. It's like I was my coach um was working with Camilla Vajegas and he's playing in a in a pro am. Um, I'm sorry, a practice round with another tour player, and this tour player is just ripping it past Camillo you know, firing at it looks like a rock star in the practice round. And they ironically got paired in the first round together. And Camillo is 30 by him on every tee shot. He's flagging it. And this guy can't even break 80. And it's like, what, wow. what changed like one here? day? Mm. I'm like, your swing didn't change, right? Your golf clubs didn't change. The golf course didn't change. The weather didn't change. Right. So to go back to your question, it's like, the success was internal pressure and self-belief. I mean, I just, you know, the one thing I tell my players all the time is like golf is going to punch you in the face. I mean, I can't, (laughs) I love these guys are like, I got such a bad break. I go, man, you must be the most unlucky player over four days because you, you, you've hit You've hit four sprinkler heads and they've gone out of bounds and it's like, Oh, you flagged it. And you, you airmailed the green 25 yards. I'm just like, what is, what's going on here? There's usually some disconnect with, what's with those types of, so like, again, I, I ask players to do a reflection after the round. Did you have fun? What did you do? Well, what didn't you do well today? What could you improved on? Like, were you able to stick to your game plan? If so, why, why not? Right. So I start to take deeper dives. Like, what would you rate yourself? If your goal was to just commit to every shot today, right. As an example, rate yourself on that. And I've never heard a player ever said a hundred percent, right? Never, not one, not, not once. So it's like, okay, that's, that should be a light bulb for you. For sure. So it's like, keep going. No, it's just, it's just something to think about that. You know, we, we really haven't even talked golf swing yet here, right? Like, okay, what, what are your, what are your numbers? What does your pattern look like? Like what's your dynamic loft? And it's like, dude, Okay, can you hit a fade? Let me see it, right? Like I start to kind of get a, a benchmark of your skill set. And then it's like, all right, go work the skill set. Like I'll I'll give you one of my favorite training games I go with players, right? So it's called the 50-point game. You play nine holes, you hit two drives off every tee box. If you hit the fairway, you get zero points. If it's a little miss, you add a point. And if it's a big miss, you add two points. So if you hit both fairways, you had zero points, you pick the ball up and whatever yardage you're trying to work on. So let's just say it's a hundred to 125. I'll say you click, put the ball anywhere you want in the fairway between 125 yards, score that ball out. So if you make three, your score is three for that hole, then go find the hardest up and down on that hole and score that. And then you do that for nine holes and accept the par threes. You just play the par threes out and your goal is to try to break 50. And I go, don't come back to me till you break 50. And then, like, I had a player do this. Like, oh, I'm going to do that. That's easy. He was like 65 the first time, right? Like, okay, you're not as good as you think you are. Or you had an off day. Then it got to 60. Then it got to 55. Then it, he's like, dude, it took, it took him almost two months. And this is a guy who's trying to make it. He's like, I, I got 49. I said, okay, now go do that from the rough. 
from 100 to 125. Couldn't do it, right? And I'm like, okay, then we just back it up, do it from yeah. 125 to 150. And the You're lowest simulating score, pressure in all areas of the game. Right. Meaning, right. And it's challenging finality, them mentally, right? Yeah. right? Like, go find the hardest up and down. Like, part of that is, you know, you picking that. Right. And so how hard are you going to push yourself? Because at the at the highest level, it's just, it's so hard. I mean, did did anybody resist this? Because it's like, they just want to go play the round. Oh, big big time. And I, and I'm just like, okay, then, you know, from a mental maturity standpoint, if you want to go play professional, you got some serious, you, you better be the best iron player in the world from 125 and in. That's what you got to do. Like, or you better drive it like Rory McIlroy, 285 and, and hit 80% of the fairways. Cause the best tour average is about 71%, you know, 70%, the bad golfers are 60, but they hit it. Or they're probably 55, but they're hitting it 310 to where, you know, without getting too technical. And I'm just like, okay, if you're not hitting it 295 on a rope, you better, you better be a Jim Furyk or a Zach Johnson. Our coach sometimes in college, We'd have to make like five chips before we everybody could leave practice. Totally. That, and guys were like, everybody's making chips early, and then a couple guys finished, and you're one of the last ones. And everybody's waiting on you. And like mind really starts to take over. Cause like you said, repetition creates automatic. Not the I mean, it's the 15 foot chip. Then yeah. the mind really is like you start putting pressure on yourself. And you start, you know, because everybody's watching you. You're let, not right. letting them go home. And right. I think for our listeners, just making one chip before you leave, if you're a 12, 15 handicap or you can't go home or a putt or, yeah. you know, something of difficulty, but you're capable of doing certainly um, like so you can, uh, how I to mean, manage your mind. To- totally. And I mean, I, I have hundreds of drills and I'm always tweaking stuff. And I mean, to your point, right. I'm like, you guys know how to hit a three footer. I'm like, but you, but you miss it all the time in a tournament. Like. <laughs> You know, right. if I, if I put this cup three feet out, I said, hit the cup, just hit the cup from never three miss. feet. They'll never miss. But yeah. Yeah. It's a hard game. So we should, when, next time I'm in Chicago, we should get it. you together and we should film the 50 point game. I think that would be a really helpful YouTube video Good content. Um, that yeah. people would get um, and get a lot out of. But before I ask yeah. you my last question, yeah. I think we're a little over time. Let me ask you, or actually, let me just say this. Jared, because we've, I've never said this on the show either. Wow. You're bringing a lot of firsts yes. out of me, but <laughs> I just good. wanted to say that this is why I love the show because nothing against you, Jared, but you'd probably agree. Less people know who you are than Sean Foley, right? And when we first started this show, I think we started with this obligation and this belief that we had to only get people like Sean Foley on the show. And we were lucky enough to get him. He's been on the show a few times, Yeah, but this is why I love this show because I've never met you and I don't know. I didn't know how this would be. I I assumed it'd be great, but this has been one of my favorite conversations that we've had in six plus years. And I think that is why I love it because it's the everyday person. Obviously you're a great player, clearly a very great coach. Um, But we also have 12s on the show and those proved to be really eye-opening and helpful too. And so people just telling their story, sharing their experience. Yeah. I just, I just think it's great. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. 
Yeah. And so I wanted to say that. And before we let you go and tell people where to find you, we always give people this chance at the end, either to reiterate something we've said and talked about because you feel it's that important and to leave people with, or something we haven't even covered that you think people need to know and take away before we uh, tell people where to find you. Good question. I would go back to uh, a couple of things, right? When you're playing your best golf, what were you doing then? What were you thinking about, right? Were you having fun? Were you relaxed? Were you smiling? Were you, who are you? Be aware of your surroundings or what was just going on in your life, right? I just was new to golf. So I love, I love this because new golfers, right? They get the bug and then they fall in love with the game. They just, they naturally get better because they love to go chip and putt and they learn how to, okay, what does this club do? How far back do I need to hit it? And then once you get to a certain skill set, you're like, oh my God, your expectation of yourself changes, right? It's like, so go back to the roots of like, man, when I first started playing or when I was playing my best golf, what was I doing? Start there and then just break it down and try to incorporate that the next time you go to the range, when you're playing with your buddies, and then just rate yourself and be the hardest thing is probably being honest with yourself. And I mean, Evan, I appreciate you sharing a lot of things for the first time. And I think that is a huge part of your success because without challenging yourself, there's no growth. So those players out there that are listening to this is like, be honest with yourself because you're only hurting yourself in the long run. And it took me 10 plus years post playing to really learn Okay, if I want to get better, I need to be honest with myself. Am I putting the time in? Am I putting my energy where I need to? And then just just work on that. I think Tiger, I was I was literally looking up quotes last night for our email newsletter, um, which by the way, you can sign up for at thepartrain.com. Uh, but I was looking up quotes about Tiger and and I'm not gonna get the quote right, but he said something like, and I didn't even end up using this, but he said something like failing and getting better forced me. His failures made him look at parts of himself that he never wanted to. Yeah. Being honest. And I kind of feel that way right now of like, um, 100%. but to your point, you kind of have to, otherwise you're never actually going to get better. And Jared, it's, everything you just said there, it's just like life, right? When you're having those couple of weeks when you're so stressed and it's like, yeah. When was I not stressed? What was I doing? What were my routines like? Yeah. We constantly have to be reminding ourselves of why was the good good. That's a really good one, sir. Because we, my wife and I talk about that all the time. That was a big thing with my coach where you start to f- uh, create your non-negotiables. Like if you actually start to get really curious about like, I was like on cloud nine three weeks ago. Okay, well, what did you do? Oh, well, I worked out in the morning. I had a little free time. I actually read, you know, by the fire or I, and it was, you start to realize, okay, so days that I read even five to 10 pages, work out, listen to music, go on a walk, got in nature. I ate this, you know, got in. Now suddenly you're like, oh, okay. Because the minute you start to feel the opposite, my coach would be like, well, what are your habits lately? Oh, I've been traveling a lot. I've had a lot more stress because we're filming stuff we've never done. Or I was eating fried food, which I never do. My sleep was off. Oh, well, of course. Of course you feel this way. You're getting away from the things that help you. It seems simple, Jared, right? (laughs) 
Hey, I've said it's always easier said than done, right? Like it's just when I go into presentations and I'm going into some firms that like I I I've convinced myself that these are these are the top players. If I can just get their business, I'm I'm successful. And I'm just like they they put their pants on the same way you do, right? Like yeah, they're either gonna like what you say or they're not. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean I'm not good at my job. But like again, that's the world we live in, to where we live or die by you know, you hear this all the time on the announcers, like they define themselves by how they play. And I'm like, man, I, that hit hard, but it's like at that level, all you know is right here, especially at the high school phase. Cause that's your life. You don't, they, and this isn't a knock. It's just their life is, is pretty not experienced at that point. So that's all they know. So it consumes everything, but it's like, okay, we can break down those barriers and understand what you do well. Let's just do that. Love it. Yeah. Well, what Jared, this was great. Well. Um, at Coach Steegs, S T E E G S at yep. J Steegs. Yeah. Personal. Anywhere else you want to send people? No, that's it right now. I'm in the process of getting my website up. Once Sweet. that's up and running, we can circle back and get it going. Sweet. Well, thank you as always, my man. We should have you back again on another specific topic, but this was great. Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care, man. Hey, guys. This is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called The Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to The Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.